Hi, this is Terrell Somerville, the lead pastor of Freedom Church. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy the message today and that you'd also take time to get plugged in to your local church. We believe you can't do life alone, so we learn to do life together. I also want to thank our givers who make this podcast possible. If you are blessed by this ministry, please consider subscribing, giving, and sharing this with your friends and family. God bless you. How's everybody doing today? All right. Who's going to win? The Chiefs? How about 49ers? Ah, feeling light there, feeling light. All right, hey, listen, so glad you're here. Thank you for coming out on Super Bowl Sunday and very excited about this particular day because uh, my good friends are in the house today. Pastors Troy and Steph Gramlin, would you guys give them some love? They're in the house today. Appreciate them being here from South Florida. He's going to help continue the No More Insanity series that we have been in. How many of you guys, give God praise if you've enjoyed the series so far. Yes, 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 yes. It's been a great series. So, uh, with that being said, I just want to say a couple of things about them. Uh, We've been friends for over 15 years. And, man, it, how we met was incredible. And, and uh, uh, Troy and I met in, uh, of all places, Flint, Michigan. <laughs> Um, he was uh, there, and I was there, and began talking, and he was a church planner and had planted churches and things like that, and, and he knew that I had, and they invited uh, us down, and, and, uh, and Troy Steph poured into Shandana, and uh, I, we have three kids. Of course, you guys know that. They have three kids. They have Tyler, Carson, and Bailey, so we began doing life together and encouraging one another, but yet the more so on our part, because there come a point in time in 2006 when we were meeting in a high school that I almost threw the towel in, and so thankful for them and how that they loved on us, prayed for us, encouraged us. If we didn't do it, I probably wouldn't have got to meet a whole lot of you guys and what God is doing in your life. So their friendship has been impeccable to us and what it's been. And you know, uh, I, I just know for Stephanie, it's the first time she's came here. The last time she was here, it was a blank slate of land. And look what God has done. And that's incredible. Give God praise, church. Come on now. So, and I want to say, and it's the funniest thing how God speaks to me, but He's kind of spoke to me this morning. You know, you only, out of, out of the people I have in my office and pictures, you know, we always have those pictures. There's only two people that, you know, there's three people that's not even uh, my, fa- not actual family, blood kin, like my kids and stuff and my wife. Uh, but it is Troy and Stephanie and it's uh, Rick Warren. And because apart from God, they're the people. It's probably influenced me more to where, I'm, where we're at today as a church. So I want to ask you, Freedom Church, to give love to them being here today as Pastor Troy takes the stage. Would you stand and give him some love? Would you do that? We'd appreciate it. Give him some love. All right, you may be seated. It is a real honor, of course, to get to hang out, get to see what God's done here. I haven't uh, seen the facility. It's pretty amazing what God's done in and through you. Thank you. Um, It's inspiring. And so I just want to say thank you because it's a result of a lot of hard work. Some of you have been here the whole time. Some of you just showed up and got to sit in theater seats, and there's a lot of work to do into the future, but right? But we are uh, humbled, Steph and I, to get to uh, just spend some time with you. You know, because I, I, I just want to encourage you, you know, you probably know this, but don't take it for granted. Uh, this is not like every church. There are hundreds of churches that close their door every day. And so while they're shrinking, you guys are actually expanding. And then, you know, you do have some amazing 
pastors. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Terrell and Pastor Terrell and Shanda are incredible. Lily, India, Chloe, just an amazing family. And, you know, Pastor Terrell is an emotional guy. You've probably experienced that. And what I've seen him get most emotional about is you and his heart and his burden to see you grow and mature and become everything that God wants you to be. So I am uh, honored to be here. I'm honored to be their friend. And, you know, here's the cool thing. You get to watch. It, they've been here the whole time. You know, the average pastor stays like three years. And they've been here when it's been really, really challenging. And they're still here today. And it's a model to you. They're not perfect, but when you look at their life, you know what you see? You see that God's word is true. They've raised their kids in the house. And as a result, they have some incredible kids who are now raising their kids in the house because the scripture is true. And so don't take them for granted. Be an encouragement to them. But Paul said this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I can say with all the confidence in the world, follow them as they follow Christ. And I can guarantee you, you will not end up at the wrong, at the wrong place. They are uh, amazing people. And if you're a guest, you showed up on a perfect weekend. You know, I got to tell you guys, I really thought I'd be seeing you in South Florida because we're hosting the Super Bowl this year, in case you were unaware of that. And I thought you guys were going to be there really, really close, a lot better than us. You know, Steph and I have lived there for 20 years, and we've won three NBA championships. We've won two World Series. I think we've only been to the playoff in the NFL like one time. They still talk about their undefeated season, which was in, what, the 70s? Uh, it's been that long since the Dolphins have done anything. But anyways, it's good to be here. And I, I do want to talk about this series. You know, you've heard that saying, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always gotten, right? And that is insanity is basically what it is. And there's one area where we tend to do this over and over and over, and that is in the area of finance. We tend to do the same things hoping that something's going to change out there that will change our experience or our circumstances. Now, when it comes to finances, I learned almost everything I need to know at the arcade. You guys remember the arcades back in the 80s? Everything's kind of in retro today, especially back into the 80s. I went to Circus Circus, which wasn't the, you know, the, the gamble. What do, you call it? what do you call those places? Uh, casinos. Yes, we have a lot of them in South Florida. It wasn't the casino. It was the arcade. It was a local arcade. And one of the games that we would play was Tetris. Anybody remember Tetris, you guys ever played like the retro Tetris? In case you haven't seen it, let me show you what it looks like, okay? This is Tetris. Remember the blocks come down and you, what you try to do is fit them together. Because if you fit a, a row of the blocks together, they just disappear. And you just kind of keep going through the game. And they keep coming down a little faster. The problem arises when you don't put the blocks where they're supposed to be. Because when they don't fit together, you lose the game. And I say I learned everything I needed to know, especially in the area of finance at the arcade, because that reminds me a lot of finances. Have you ever noticed as long as everything fits together, you just kind of flow along in life. You may not be getting wealthy, but you're not overwhelmed. You're not stressed out because everything kind of fits for every debit. There is a credit for every credit. There is a debit. But man, you start getting something out of place, 
And doesn't it feel like it just starts coming faster and faster? And I mean, the insurance is due and the car gets a flat tire and the dog gets sick. And all, I mean, it's just, it can be, it can be overwhelming. And it's like, so how are we, how are we supposed to handle this area? I remember when I moved out, that's when really finances, I learned about money. I'm, you know, you move out because you get too old and your parents say it's time to go, or you, you get married. I got married at 22. Steph and I've been married, that's a long time. Now. I mean, not a long time. It seems like a short time, but she's awesome, okay? Um, but to, and the thing that really kind of like blew me away was rent, because I had lived at home for 22 years and I hadn't had to pay any rent, and now they want me to pay rent. And then when I went to the grocery store to get what you have to have in order to live, which is food, they wanted to charge me for it. And they wanted to charge me every time I went. In, in the past, all I had to do was go to the cupboard, open up the door, and there was my food. But now I had to pay for it. There were two things that I just hated paying. Maybe you can relate. One was taxes. Uh, you get a job. They tell you how much you're making. You're like, woo, this is good. Then you get the check for the job. And it doesn't match up to what they said you were going to make because Uncle Sam takes a lot along the way. And you're like, I don't know if I, and then even worse than taxes is insurance. Cause insurance is something you get in hopes that you never have to use it. All right. What else in life do you buy like that? Steph and I had that health insurance that was not any good unless you die, you know, or you get really, really sick cause the deductible is so high that, um, and so that's, that's what we had. I mean, we didn't die, so it really wasn't any good to us, but I am here. And I want us to look at a passage of scripture that if you've hung out in church, you probably experienced it before, but I want us to look at the context in which it is written, because I think that helps us to understand better really what God's trying to say to us. You know, there are some uh, scriptures that speak to a specific people at a specific time, and then we learn the principles of what God is saying and apply them to our time. And then there are times when God speaks to all people at all time. Well, this is a passage of scripture where God is speaking to a specific people in which we can draw out some principles which will radically impact your financial life. And that is my heart. I know it's your pastor's heart, and I know it's God's heart. I grew up in a home where my dad worked hard. He was gone every morning by the time I got up. He was never home uh, when we went to bed. He was always working. He, we had a um, newspaper at one time. We had a sporting goods store. We had a t-shirt printing place. We had uh, heat and air, all these different things. My dad was quite the entrepreneur, and he would start these businesses and sell these businesses. And, and so there was a lot of revenue coming in, but there was always financial stress. I mean, that, if I have to think about my childhood, it's not that we lacked in things. We didn't have a bunch, but it was just that there was always financial stress. Mom and dad were always fighting about money. Anytime we said, hey, can we uh, get this or do this or go there? It was always, well, we don't have the money. Money was the biggest discussion in our home. And the Bible says, Scripture teaches that God won't necessarily make us rich, but that he can give us financial peace. And so that when you and I are living a life that is focused on the lack of resources we have, we're doing something wrong as Christ followers. One of the great benefits of being a Christ follower is that we can have peace internally no matter what is going on around us. And so I want that for you. 
Because there are lots of folks who live their whole life. At 12, they're worried about money. And at 70, they're worried about money. Their whole life. And is there any greater stress than financial stress? I mean, if you got more bills on your bar at home, on your counter at home, than you do money coming in this month, you're thinking about it right now. And you're trying to figure out, and the kids need sneakers, and the kids got to go to college, and, 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 or maybe you're here and you're single, and you got to go out on a date, and you're like figuring out how in the world can I go out, and who wants to go out with me, and, you know, all we're going to do is have a TV dinner and watch, um, you know, YouTube or something. It's, it's stressful, and it's real. So I want us to look at the last book in the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi. But to truly understand it, we need to know what's going on in the world and when, at the time in which it was written. The people of God had been taken captive by the Babylonians, okay? So let's kind of keep this in our mind. The Babylonian, you probably heard of King Nebuchadnezzar, Shakrach, Benny, Daniel in the lion's den. That happened because the Babylonians were the world power at the time. They came into Judah and they said, guess what? We're going to take your best. We're going to take your brightest and we're going, to, we're going to be in control of everything. And so all of these Jews, these Israelites, end up in Babylonia. They end up there for 70 years under the control of the Babylonians. Eventually, the Babylonians are defeated by you world history historians by the Persians. The Persians come in and they allow them to go back. You may have read some of the things that it talks about in the book of Nehemiah. It talks about how they went back and they rebuilt the wall. If you read the book of Haggai, they come back and they rebuild the temple. Well, both of those things have been done when we get to the book of Malachi. And the people of God, they're about half-hearted. I mean, that stuff has been done, and now they're looking for the Messiah because they're still under the thumb of a foreign power. And they're like, God, we need you. We want you. Come and rescue us. And in the book of Malachi, God says, I'm going to come. But when I come, what I'm going to do is reveal who you are in order for you to get to where I created you to be. It's just like today. The only way GPS can work is if, first of all, it identifies what? Where you are. If you, can't, if you don't know where you are, there's no way in the world to get to where you want to go. That's what he tells them in Malachi, and guess what? The same thing is true today. There are probably some of us here, and you're crying out, God, I need help. I need help in my finances. I need help in my marriage. I need help in my business. I need help in my profession. I need help to get into the right college to experience the profession that I want. Anyways, you're crying out for God, and God says the same thing. I'm going to come, and I'm going to rescue you. But the way in which God rescues us is to bring the fire because it burns away all the things that get in the way from us accomplishing our destiny. So that's what's going on, all right? You with me? Let's read about it. If you want uh, the outline, I think it's in the Freedom Church app. If not, it'll be up here on the screen. But let's start in verse 5 of Malachi. This is where God says that. He says, at that time, when I come to rescue you, when I come to do what you're asking me to do, I will put you to the test. I'll put you on trial. Because I am eager to witness against all sorcerers, adulterers, liars, I will speak against those who cheat the employees of their wages, who oppress the widows and orphans, who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So he says, I'm going to come, but when I come to rescue you, I'm going to reveal to you who you really are. That's the hard part. 
That's what, that's what we're all going to struggle with as we walk through this today. The hardest part about what I'm going to say is whether or not you and I have the courage to actually look in the mirror and see what we are. Do you ever have those days in your life where you don't like mirrors? Right, where you just kind of walk because you're afraid of what you're going to see when you look in it? You know, the same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual lives. I wrote this down in my journal. The most difficult part of getting to where we want to be financially is admitting where we really are and how we got here. Where are you financially and how did you get here without blaming anyone else, without uttering the statement, well, God understands. No, no. Can we look in the mirror and be honest? Because that's the biggest obstacle to getting to where we want to be according to the scripture. So let's read it and then we'll talk about it for a few moments. Malachi chapter three, verse seven. God says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees, you failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? And this, this sounds just like us, doesn't it? God says, hey, you want me to rescue you? I will. If you'll return to me, I'll return to you. And what's their response? God, when did I leave? I was at church this Sunday. I've memorized a few verses, God. I served in the children's ministry, God. I, I, I went to the ladies' ministry. God, what? what, I, what? Right, this, I'm going to push because I'm leaving tomorrow. So I'm gonna push on you today. And I promise our response, my response when I read these texts is to, whoa, 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 that's not me. That's what they're saying, right? He says, you return, how does God reveal to them? This is what you gotta see. How does God reveal to them that he's not priority in their life? That's, that's the thing, because that's the point. What is God saying? He's saying, listen, I'm gonna rescue you. But in order for you to experience my power, you have to position yourself in the right place, which simply means God has to be the priority of your life. And God looks at them and says, you're not, I'm not. Return to me. And they say, what are you talking about? I go to church. I've always gone to church. I read a scripture. I give a little bit here. I do all these different things. And where does God go? He doesn't go to their church attendance. He doesn't go to how many scriptures they remember. You know where he's going to go? He's going to go to their money because our money and what we do with it reveals not just who we are, but the priority that he is. That's what the scripture says. All right. And I, and I want to, I want to show you, look right here, Malachi chapter three. He says, but you ask, how can we return? We have never gone away. In other words, God, you are priority. What do you mean? Make you priority. What does he say? Very next Verse, verse eight, should people cheat God? Or some translations say, should people rob God? Yet you have cheated me or you have robbed me. And they push back just like many of us here today. They push back and they say, but you ask, what do you mean? When we, did we ever rob you? When did we ever cheat you? And what does God say? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Therefore, you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there'll be enough food in my temple. In other words, so that there'll be what's needed in order to do the resources, because the, the food and the resources they brought fed the priest, it did the ministry. When Steph and I go to New York, I spoke in New York a couple of weeks ago, and our favorite pizza, you know, you got to eat pizza when you go to New York, is, is John's Pizzeria. It's just off of Times Square. Has anybody been there? 
John's Pizzeria, a few of you have. The sad thing about this pizza place is that it's in a church or what used to be a church. And it's got a balcony, it's got the platform area, and there's just tables and chairs. And it, you can tell it used to be a beautiful church, but what they needed in order to do ministry was no longer provided. And so now it's a pizza place. I don't think it's not a church because everybody in New York knows Christ. I think it's not a church because God wasn't priority of the people who were attending that church at the time in which it shut its doors. And I don't say that in judgment. I say that fearing that I can do the same thing. He goes on and he says, I, he says, if you do, the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you, a part of blessing, so great. You don't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. So let's look at these things real quick. Number one is we need to apply the principle of embracing God's generosity. We want to start with his generosity. See, they were focused on everything they didn't have instead of what they did have. Isn't that easy to do? I mean, think about today. Even today, as we were coming to church, as somebody passed you in a car, did you focus on the cars that passed you that are nicer than yours? Or did we focus on the fact that we have one in which to drive? It's just right. Our skin just naturally looks around and says, wow, I, I want that. I need that. And I, I, the scripture is encouraging us to focus on this sense. Everything we do have, God has given us. We sometimes make statements like this. If you want to succeed in life, all you got to do is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You ever heard that saying? Well, that is contrary to scripture. You know what scripture teaches? Scripture teaches that what you and I do, it positions us for blessing, but that every blessing you've experienced is not earned. It's grace. See, we want to look around and think that we've earned it because then we can look at the guy at the corner who's got the sign saying, please help me. And we can look and say, well, if you worked as hard as I did, you wouldn't be on the corner. And the scripture says, no, 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 listen, what you did going to school when your buddy wasn't is you, you positioned yourself for a blessing, but the blessing you received, you didn't earn, it was given because God's generous. Now, let's look. You say, I don't know, Troy. Well, let's just look at what Jesus' brother said. He ought to know, right? James chapter 1. My dearly loved brothers and sisters. What are those next three words? Don't be misled. Now, anytime I read something like that, I, it's like red lights going off in my mind. And the reason is, why, I think, why is that there? Be, it's there because we have a tendency to do what? Be misled. If I didn't have to worry about screwing this up, it wouldn't say, don't be misled. It would just say what I'm supposed to do. But what it's about to tell me to do, we all are tempted not to do, to be misled. So anytime I read this, I'm thinking, okay, I need to be careful here because I could really screw this up. He says, don't be misled. Every good gift bestowed, every perfect gift received comes to us from where? What's it say? Above. Let's say it a little happier. This is good news. Where's it come from? Above, courtesy of the Father of lights who is consistent. All good things come down from the Father of lights. So what is the temptation to be misled in? Don't be misled. All good things come down from the Father of lights. The temptation is that you and I will be misled into believing that what you have, you earned. That's why we can look down on one another. 
because I worked hard to go to school while you just played around. I live in this house because I, I, sac- I sacrificed. I did all these different things that you were unwilling to do. And the scripture says, no, 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 don't be misled. You positioned yourself to be blessed, but that blessing comes down from the Father of lights. And so therefore, you and I have what we have because God is generous. See, when you get misled, you start thinking what you got is yours. I start thinking it's mine. Therefore, I can do with it what I please. And should anybody try to get it, whether it's the church or the guy on the corner or somebody else doing it, I get all this frustrated when I realize that what I have, God has given me. So the starting part, the starting point for you and I is to embrace generous. That means I have to give up this pride that makes me think I've earned it. It allows me to walk around and feel proud of what I've done as opposed to just embracing God is good. We say it, but then we act as if what we have is ours. He's saying, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Second thing that he tells us to do. Well, let me, let me give you this. We read it, but let's look at it again. Malachi 3.10. He says, try it. Put me to the test. Try it. See if, act as if, or live as if I'm generous and put me to the, and what is he saying? He's saying that if we will test God, if we will trust God, we will discover that God is greater and gives greater fulfillment, protection, joy, and purpose than money does. Because at the end of the day, it's not that we're evil, is it? It's that we're looking for those things. Why did you get a second job and therefore you're unable to really engage in the life of the church? It's because you're either looking for joy, happiness, you want to have a second job to be able to to do certain things, or it's to security, right? You want to take care of your family and, and all those different kind of things. See, I'm not saying that those things are evil, but what I am saying is God's saying, test me. See, if I can't provide greater peace, greater joy, greater security, greater happiness, then money can. And don't just test me by saying, whoa, no, no. Actually live your life that way. I guess we could say it like this. Are or am I living my life that way? All right, so first thing I got to look at is look at and test God is generous. Secondly, give God your worst and your best. Your worst and your best. We read it a moment ago. Malachi 3, 5. At that time, I'm going to reveal who you really are, Troy. I'm going to witness against the sorcerers, adulterers, the liars, the ones who are mean to their employees, the ones who uh, don't take care of the refugees, all of these kind of things. He says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees. You failed to obey them. Now what? Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven armies. What's God saying? He's saying, hey, all your screw up, bring them to me and we're going to work through them. Aren't you glad God doesn't say, get yourself figured out and then come to me? Get your marriage in order and then come to me. You know, get your finances in order and then come to me. Get your profession, get everything figured out and then come. No, no, God says, hey, listen, bring me your worst. Your worst, all your screw-ups, all the things you've done wrong. You bring them to me and what's he say? Return to me, I'll return to you. We're going to work on these. Bring me your, I love the scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, well, they're going to put it up here on the screen. We'll just read it. He says, but God showed his great love for us. How? By sending Christ to die for us while, let's read those next four words out loud together. You ready? Here we go. To die for us while, here we go. We, we were still sinners. So we're going to read it again, but this time we're going to read the happy. In order to get happy, look at the person next to you. 
Go ahead, look at the person next to you. I know. Now smile at them. Just a goofy smile. Just smile at them. Okay, you ready? This is great, great news. He says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while still sinners, while we were still screwed up, while we were still in rebellion. God says, man, I know who you are. Bring your worst and we'll work through it for my grace is sufficient. But he also says, bring me your best. It's easy to bring the worst, isn't it? Because nobody else wants my junk but God. But there are a lot of folks who want my best, right? Malachi chapter, same book, right? Same environment, same circumstances. Look at what he says in Malachi 1.7. He says, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices or defiled offerings on the altar. <laughs> Look how they respond. Exactly the way we do. Then you ask, oh, when did we do that? How have we defiled the sacrifices? We are so predictable, aren't we? Our skin is so predictable. Even as I talk about this, there are some right here in these chairs. No, no, no. You're just pushing back. You're on the verge of even being angry. That's exactly what they're doing. See, you got to look in the mirror. I got to look in the mirror. Do I see myself? They're saying, no, 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 God, you, you don't understand. That's the Assyrians. That's the Persians. That's the Babylonians. They're the bad ones. We're your people. We, we, we take some sacrifices. He says, you defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. They're saying, God, prove it to us. And here he says, okay, I'll prove it to you. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Now look at what God, this is God. He's got such a sense of humor. Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. You realize what God's saying to you and me today? He looks at you and he says, hey, try paying your taxes with the same consistency you tithe. You end up in jail? I mean, that's right there. God, you get God's really saying, man, you need to look in the mirror, bro. You're out there trying to tell the world that Jesus is the priority of your life, and you're lying. And the world looks at you and I, and they don't see any difference. Why? Because we got the same fears. we got the same worries. we got the same stress. We're overwhelmed in the same way because we're just afraid to look in the mirror. We're afraid that God, in the end, we love him. We want to worship him. We just have a hard time. And God says, no, no, look, man. My whole goal, God says, is to get you from where you are to where I created you to be. I created you. You didn't fall out of a tree. You didn't wash up on the shore. God knit you together in your mother's womb on purpose to do something of significance of us. Not just the good people over there, but all of us. On purpose to do something of significance. He says, look, you're, you're, you're bringing blind. And you know how I would respond to that? I'd be like, well, God, at least I brought something. You know, Johnny, my neighbor, he didn't bring anything. Never brings anything. I mean, God, it's been a tough month. You know it's been a tough month. There have been a lot of things happen. If I'd have brought you the, the, the one that can see, well, I wouldn't have had any left. And if I don't have any left, how am I going to take care of my family? I mean, God, I mean, I did more than most people. Isn't that good? 
You, you ever hear yourself saying that? God, I, I've done more than most. I mean, I, I did give something. I did help this guy. I did do that. I did help. Well, let's see how God responds to that, okay? Let, let's see what God's perspective is on that. He says, try giving that to the governor. See how he goes. Verse 9, go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asked the Lord of heaven armies. How I wish, this is strong. How I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. Same thing that happened with Cain and Abel. God told uh, Cain, Cain, what you're doing is not what I'm asking for. Cain's like, yeah, but I'm bringing you, that's not what I'm asking for. You get what God's saying, right? He's saying, man, I wish somebody had the courage to shut those doors because I don't want your leftovers. See, God, see, here, think, remember, guys, we don't give because people are hungry. You, you realize that, right? We don't give to help the hurting. We do. That is what's done with all that we give. But God could do that without me, and he could do that without you. You know why we give? To discover the priority he is in our lives. God doesn't need my money to feed the hungry, but God needs me to know whether he's a priority in my life. And the same is true for all of us. Right? That's what he's saying. He said, I don't need you. I don't need your leftovers. I don't need your junk. I can feed the hungry. I can take care of this world fine, Troy, without you or without Freedom Church or without Potential Church. And if all you're going to do is bring me what's left over, then I wish you'd just shut the doors because you're mocking my name. You're pretending to believe something you do not believe. And therefore, we're not receiving the incredible peace, joy, love, and hope that the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time, God actually has to give to us. That's what this is about. But my skin gets in the way, probably the way yours does. And it starts when we're little, doesn't it? I mean, if you've ever had a child, been a child, or known a child, and it's kind of, you know, it's Christmas time, and you're like, hey, we're going to take some toys to the less fortunate. And if they're immature, and by that I don't mean bad, I just mean young, they'll go to their toy box, and which toy will they get? They'll get the broken toy, won't they? Or the one they no longer play with. And they'll bring it, and you and I don't look at them and say, you're so generous, son. I mean, I know it's a cowboy and it has no arms, but I'm sure somebody, no, we're like, no, that's not generosity. To be generous is, is to give your best, isn't it? Because in, when you give your best, what does it reveal? What you really believe about those who are in need. That's God's challenge for us. He wants our worst and he wants our best. Let, let me give you this third one. Ah, you okay? All right. Number three, be a good steward of what you have been given. Be a good steward of what you have been given. And Malachi 3.10, we read it, but let's read it again. Bring, what's that next three little word? All the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. You know, I, I really believe that that three-letter word is reminding us that partial obedience is disobedience. That's the way we treat it in the lives of our children. That's the way we treat it in the lives of our pets. If we tell them, you know, to, to go to the bathroom outside, if it's a pet, not our child, right? We don't mean just half the time. 
Well, at least they go to the bathroom outside the house, you know, 50%. No, we, it, obedience is all the time. If we ask our child to come, we want them to come all the way, not half the way. Because what are we trying to teach our children or our dogs or our pet? We're trying to teach obedience. Because why? Why? Because there's blessing on the other side of obedience, isn't there? At the end of the day, that's the gold. The gold is, um, is the blessing. God puts his resources in the hands of the people who do with it what he wants done. Well, what does God want done? Well, he said when he came, he said, I came to do what? Seek and to save those who are lost. He didn't come to seek and to, 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 you know, to rescue, you might say, those who are angry at the church down the road. When, when, if you're at freedom from the church down the road, listen, as long as you're here to accomplish the purpose for which the church exists, awesome. But if you're just angry, deal with your heart. Don't bring that anger, right? He, 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 what's his concern? His concern is the lost. That's the mission to reach those who don't know Christ or those who rejected Christ or those who have drifted away from Christ. Now look in verse 16. He says, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you and I won't be honest in the, with the greater responsibilities. Now, why does he say that? What do you think that's about? You, you know what I think God's saying? Now, again, remember, giving or generosity is what? It's to reveal my heart. The the need is what's done with what I give, but it's to reveal my heart. God doesn't want to just wait until some big opportunity for me to wake up and say, oh my gosh, God's not number one in my life. Why? Because the blessing is where? The blessing is in God being priority. So if I'm living my life, you know, and I'm lying to myself, telling myself that God's number one, that means, and he's not, that means I'm living in a place that's outside of where God's pouring out the blessing. And God says, I love you too much to allow you to live a day or a week or a month outside of my blessing. So what are you doing with the small things? Because that reveals your heart. You don't have to wait till big things. Isn't that good of God? What'd you do this week with what he gave you? Did you live generous with it? Or did you like, oh, well, God, you understand, and I got this, and, you know, or did you just explain it all the way? Listen, if you did, that's fine, as long as you can look in the mirror and realize that really what you said all week long is God's not the priority of my life. It doesn't make you evil. It makes you honest, and it positions you in a place to be able to get to where God is actually blessing. That's why it's there. People at potential, they'll walk up to me, and they'll say, hey, pastor, pray for me. I got a big business deal this week. Or they'll say, pray for me, you know, that I get this or whatever. They say, because if I do, oh, man, we're going to start a new church or we're going to launch a new campus or we're going to get, you know, whatever we've been casting vision about. And I'm like, well, what are you doing now? I'm not doing anything now. I mean, I don't have anything. I mean, right? God understands. It's like, you want me to tell you statistically? Statistically, <clears throat> that whatever you're doing now is what you'll do no matter how much you get. Because it's your heart. The problem's not you and I don't have enough. The problem's he doesn't have enough of us. You know who gives the less amount of money statistically? The two people you would think would have the most, the wealthy and the young. You'd think the wealthy would give the, the greatest percentage, right? Because they're going to have the greatest percentage left over. That's not true. You'd think the young, I and mean, what responsibility does a 21-year-old have? I mean, no offense if you're 21 years old, but you have less responsibility today than you're going to have when you're down the road. So you would think they would, but they, they don't. Why? Because it's not about any of that stuff. It's about our hearts. It's about what's going on on the inside of me. Let me, keep, let me keep going. Verse 11. 
And if you're unworthy with worldly wealth, who can trust you with the riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, who could, how could you be trusted with um, things of your own? And here's the part you got to hear. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, what does that mean to be enslaved to money? You've probably heard that before. You can't serve two masters. Hate one, love the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. What does it mean to be enslaved to money? He's not talking about materialism here. Here's what he's saying. He's asking us the question, is that when it comes to security in your life, which direction do you step first? You need to be more secure. Do you step towards finances? Believing, listen, I'm going to serve one day, I can't serve today because I'm focused on my business because I want to make sure that my family is secure or I want to make sure that my retirement is secure. And so one day I'm going to serve more, I'm going to give more, but I can't today. Retirement's not evil. Working a second job is not evil. But what I will tell you is when you step there first, what is he saying? He's saying that is your priority that you are telling God you're going to provide for your security. And all God's saying is don't come to me when what you're doing doesn't work. See, that's the evaluation, right? Which direction do I step first when it comes to happiness? Do I step to God first, trusting that he will provide? Or do I believe that if I just had a bigger home and therefore if I work just a little bit harder, see, hard work is not bad. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? These things aren't bad, but if that's the first place we step, then that means that God is second. That's all he's saying. And he's saying, if I'm second, you can't have the peace and joy that I died to give you. You'll never experience it. And that's what the world sees, really, isn't it? We're the church. We love God. But we keep stepping in that direction so we don't have what he's promising. So the world believes that it's not even there, that it's not true. Let me give you this last one. There's plenty we could talk about, but this is the funnest one. Be transformed through your generosity into a better life. You know, the great thing about generosity is it changes you. Just like greed does or any of those things, generosity changes. In other words, it makes you more thankful. It, it gives you a greater sense of gratitude. It changes your heart. When you become a generous person, it changes the way you see things. It changes the way you think about things. It changes your fear. Right? Even, isn't that what Malachi 3 says? He says, hey, try it. Put me to the test. He says, your crops will be abundant. Your grapes are not going to fall off. Nations will call you blessed. He lists all these different things. And, and just ask yourself, if you're going to get married, do you want to marry a generous person or a greedy person? Like, man, I hope I can find a woman who really cares only about herself. I hope I can find a man that never thinks about. No, naturally, you want to marry who? A generous person. If you're going to hire somebody, who are you going to hire? Generous person, a greedy person. You're going to promote somebody. Who are you going to promote? I mean, the reality is, in real life, generous people just have a better life. I mean, Jesus himself. Look at what Jesus says. He says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or clothes to wear. Right? Don't worry about this having enough money. 
says, so don't worry about these things. Say, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What will we wear? Look what he says in verse 32. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Unbelievers. Do you have enough courage to look into the mirror and really admit that what you're worried about is the same thing that those who don't know Christ are worried about? This is Jesus. Because see, the reality is if Jesus doesn't exist, you better worry about it. Right? I mean, because, I mean, you you got to take care of it. I mean, that's the way animals are. Right? What's the one thing animals think about? Food. I mean, I've got a little dog, Harley. I, I, I love her. I think she loves me. But really, you know what? She waggles her little tail only to get food. That's all she ever thinks about is food. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, man, if you don't know God, you got to worry about what you're going to eat and where you're going to sleep because there's nobody to trust. But Jesus says, well, look what he says, brother. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all that you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will what? He will give you, what's it say? Everything you need. Is that true? you live in that truth? That's the old, you go to the New Testament, you want to know about what money, what the Bible has to say about money, just look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He's receiving an offering for the church in Jerusalem that's struggling. He says, in those two chapters, he says that we are to give consistently or regularly, proportionately, sacrificially, My prayer for me and for you, because this is not a one-time decision, is it? I mean, you make that decision every week. What do you do with what God's given you? Would you bow your head? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if what I have taught is true, it could radically change your life. If we'll trust it. I will tell you this, while I grew up in a home that was always stressed about money, always worried about whether there would be enough, when I closed my door at night, I could hear my mom and dad fight about money. That's the home I grew up in, but that is not the home that my kids have grown up in. And it's not because we're wealthy. We know what it's like to have holy underwear, and I'm not talking about underwear that you take to church. We know what it's like to eat those little plastic noodles. We know what it's like, like Paul said, to have a little or to be blessed with a little more. The reason my kids haven't grown up in a home like that is because God's word is true. And so even when things are tight and we get even a little nervous. We don't have to get stressed. And Steph and I don't have to argue and fight. Because God has promised that he will provide what we need. And Father, I pray for everyone that's here. There's no greater weight or worry than the constant heaviness of financial stress. A feeling that you never have enough. You're always left out. 
You're always behind. It's like the bricks of Tetris just keep falling down upon your head. But your word, you said it yourself, God, that if we will seek you first, you give us everything we need. You said in the Old Testament, you're our shepherd. (sighs) You'll give us everything we need. Lord, help us to look in the mirror. Not somebody else's mirror, not in compared to what somebody else does, not surrendering to the anger that our skin feels. God, just help me to look in the mirror and to be honest about what I see, about the priority that you are in my life, not because of the position I hold or the scriptures I've memorized or the number of times that I speak, but by the generosity of my with what you have given me for your glory in Jesus name Amen Hello Pastor Jim here I just wanted to come on and thank you for listening and help answer the question what next if you gave your life to Jesus today we would love to take that journey with you simply text the word SAVED to 615-900-2176 and make sure to follow us through the week on our social media accounts at Freedom Church TN. We love you. Have a blessed week.